This is Rainomo's Podcast, The Creative Mindset. Hi, this is Rainomo. Welcome to The Creative Mindset, a podcast about building a creative career through conversations with the world's best practitioners. We talk with artists, designers, architects, curators, chefs, and other luminaries of diverse creative pursuits. Just a little background about this podcast. We started this project in the fall of 2022 initially for the Japanese market as a way to provide inspiration to that audience from outside of Japan. I reached out to a few friends and acquaintances of mine that I respect in various creative industries and asked if we could record our conversations. Since it was for the Japanese audience, we released these conversations dubbed in Japanese, but there was such a strong demand for the English version of the conversations, so here we are. The first episode is with Ian Spouter. Former head of design at Instagram. You might recognize his name because he's a superstar in the digital design world. He was featured in a Netflix special called The Abstract, The Art of Design. He currently resides in Tokyo where he moved a few years ago to lead Instagram's office in Japan. He now oversees design for the metaverse at Instagram slash meta. And oh, he and I used to be colleagues almost two decades ago. That's several lifetimes away. My conversation with Ian spanned from how he first found his calling in design by doing boring tasks, how he faced challenges as a black designer, and how he fosters creativity in a business environment where creativity might not happen naturally. All of it was so rich that we decided to split into two parts. So here's the first part of my conversations with Ian Spouter. So let's get started. I wanted to start the conversation、uh, with is. Creativity in one's career、mm. and how one gets into that path in, on,、uh, on that journey.、Mm-hmm. So, tell us a little bit about how you got into not just this industry, but creativity as the main avenue for your career. I think that、um, you know, the things that inspired me the most and captured my imagination as a kid were these fields of creativity. you know, So, whether it was films like Star Wars or you know, playing with Legos or things like that. Yeah, I grew up、uh, in an area called New Rochelle, New York, which is、uh, a suburb right above the Bronx.、Um, and my parents grew up there. And, you know, it's a very,、um, it's known as a pretty diverse suburb, both、um, in terms of、uh, ethnic diversity, racial diversity, but also socioeconomic diversity.、Um, went to public schools my whole life.、Um, but it, at that time, it was a very good public school system、um, so that I could be exposed to things like this. Uh, to um, drafting, uh, you know, actually drawing, you know,、uh, 3D sketches, isometric drawings, things, basic things like that. And it was around that time that I started to understand that that was a thing you could do and started to learn about industrial design a little bit,、uh, that that was something that was happening, like frog design was big then.、Um, and, you know, I was introduced to some of that. I、uh, had good arts programs and things like that. And I think that definitely had an impact on, on my career choices.、Mm-hmm. Were, were there any influences either from your parents or from your teachers, from your friends,、um, or even you know, college? How did you、uh, pursue? I think、um, you know, even though I, I had that initial spark、um, around design and also around compute, computing, you know, I can remember. Friends who had、um, early Macintosh computers and being able to like use those, and that was like magic, right? So I was always attracted to computing and graphics in early age. I'd say high school, there wasn't as much opportunity to do a lot of those things. And so I kind of lost my way. I think I didn't go into and look for design programs, but I ended up at、um, 
a, a small college called Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts. And it was a sort of very progressive school where you could basically put together your own major. And that was a new concept then. Now NYU has these sorts of programs. Lots of larger universities have this. But um, Hampshire was pretty early. And it was also early in having access to the internet. It had fiber optics long before, um, like wired into people's rooms, like far before other universities did. So I got exposure to uh, kind of the next wave of, of digital technology pretty early, uh, power PCs, things like that, right? And so I used to be a, kind of a what we call a lab rat, which is someone who just lives in the computer lab. Mm-hmm. I was that, you know, learning um, all the different software and just experimenting. At the same time, taking courses in uh, uh, like human factors or human computer interaction or basic computer graphics classes in C and exposing myself to those things and kind of piecing together um, a type of curriculum for myself, um, which eventually led to things like internships and things because at that time, everything was new. So it wasn't as if you could go to a a program and then get an internship at some big tech company. Um, everyone was figuring it out. So and even if you had, had a traditional graphic design background, you might be at a disadvantage in, when you're thinking about the web, for instance, or CD-ROMs. So, yeah. So it doesn't sound like it wasn't like, hey, this is a graphic design major or this is an industrial design major that you pursue. It was sort of a mix and match, yeah. design your own, uh, own uh, yeah, academic patched major. Yeah, together, really, yeah, yeah. You know, based off my interests and what was available at the time. Yeah. So when you graduated, what was the degree that you had? Um, I had a, a basic liberal arts degree. Got it. Yeah, so a Bachelor of Arts, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so tell us a little bit about the, the beginning of your professional career after that then. So I was fortunate um, during my college years to start to uh, intern. Um, there was a place called New York Online, which was a pre-web online community that you use dial-up modems to call into in kind of a bulletin board system. And that company was starting to consult for this new thing called the World Wide Web. And companies that were interested in creating their first web pages would go to this company to create them. And so I was an early intern there in the summertime. And so when I graduated, I went to work part-time uh, for that company, a man named Omar Wasso. And um, ultimately, that company got bought by Community Connect or some basically Aquahired. They didn't call it that, but they scooped us up and, and we went to build Black Planet. So that's how I kind of started professionally, I'd say. Yeah. Everybody... I think, has a turning point uh, mm-hmm. in their career. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your early ones, um, and uh, let's take it from there. I think some of the earliest ones were simple things. Like I, I can remember having a freelance job where I basically cut assets for eight hours. And for those who don't know what that looks like, it's like you're sitting, imagine cutting out shapes on a piece of paper again and again and again for eight hours, but doing it on a computer screen. And I can remember after feeling that that day, um, feeling like, oh, I can do this. Like I, I can sit in front of a computer and design and do this work, even if it is just rigorous, repetitive work, I'm capable of this. And that was, there's just a weird moment, a light bulb in my head that this is like, okay, this is for me. Do you remember how old, how old you were? Right. So yeah. I had to be like in my 20s, like early 20s or something like that, right? It was just like, I don't even know if I had, I must have had another job and this was like a side job or something. Um, but I, it was just a funny moment that was really memorable for me to feel like, oh, that, that, that was a good day's work. 
right? And um, I don't know why it sticks with me, <laughs> but it did. So to fast forward or just to summarize your career, you mm -hmm. know, you had your beginning um, in the, 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 the early 2000s, sounds like. Yeah. And then we met around 2003, 2004, mm -hmm. working at this agency called RGA, mm -hmm. which at the time was a medium-sized, you know, design slash technology. I don't know if we called ourselves an agency no, yet. No, You know, it was a design company, design yeah. and technology company. Yeah. Um, and how long, how long were you at, uh, at RGA total? So, so I worked there twice. I was one of the boomerangs, right? So I think I maybe a total put in about six years at RGA, but the first stint was shorter than the second, I mm, think. Mm. I think the first, first stint was maybe under three years. Okay. And then the second one was more like four. Right, right, right. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, we overlapped maybe about two years, I think. Yeah, in the first two years we yeah. overlapped. And you were up in the Nike land, and I was working on various clients like uh, T-Mobile or uh, eventually Nokia was the big one. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So for uh, the listeners, just to paint a picture of what it was like uh, in the early internet design uh, industry, this thing called the internet or the World Wide Web was becoming a thing mm -hmm. and major clients were starting to be interested in as a channel, as a medium uh, to, um, to market and advertising and communicate with their, their customers. Mm -hmm. I remember, I think it was in 2000, actually 2001, and this was the first time that um, I, I was still in my early or well, mid-20s, I think, mm -hmm. was asked to lead a pitch for Nike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I can't remember if it was before you joined. Before or I, I joined. Before you joined. Yeah, okay, the work so was but, already there. By the time, yeah, by the time you got there, the, the work was there, mm -hmm. and it was one of the first times when a major um, brand would ask an agency to be a dedicated partner uh, called the Agency Record. Yeah, and it was new at the time because this digital medium was a was a new thing, and the the, the brands weren't taking it seriously. But Nike was one of the early ones to to do so, mm -hmm. and um, I think it was like five or six different companies, like RGN and a few other companies, uh, did a pitch. And yeah, Nike I think was one of the major first major uh, accounts mm -hmm. that RG had won. Mm -hmm. And initially, I think it was about twenty. 20 people that they asked to dedicate to the Nike mm -hmm. Nike business mm -hmm. and uh, at the tender age of 25 or so <laughs> that I was uh, asked to be the lead for that for that team yeah. um, and uh, and then eventually I mean you know you led one of the um, groundbreaking pieces of work yeah, uh, called Nike Plus yeah. and the Nike Fuel Band yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 I think the other step up moments or I would call step up moments are these like breakout moments I mean there's yeah several um you know, you're talking about RGA and pitching. We we once had a pitch, um, pitching against other agencies like Widen, who were like kind of bigger than us and were embedded with Nike. And we had another pitch, and uh, we had really kind of rallied a team around it. It was like one of these big moments, right? And this is before Nike Plus was going to become a bigger thing. There was another line of work that was um, that we were allowed to pitch for. And uh, we had put together some really great ideas, great prototypes, and you know felt pretty good about it. And we were flying out. I was part of the team flying out to give give the pitch. And you'll remember like Nick Law was like lead at that point, and Jill Nussbaum. And we were going to the airport, 
And I think Nick got a phone call. And Nick was the, at this point, the, I don't know if he's chief creator. He was like the senior guy. The big dog, yeah. Right? He, he was yeah. the big guy. Um, he got a phone call at the airport. I think his wife was about to give birth or something. So he's got to go. So then it's up to <laughs> me and Inmore Jill, I think, had to take the lead on this more than I did. But that was an interesting moment as well, right? Where you're, you have to step up to that moment. You have to meet the moment, you know, as a team. And, and it helps when you've done all the preparation. You're coming there with a whole team behind you of work. And, but you have to deliver, right? And we actually won that pitch. Um, I don't take credit for I actually give that shout out to Jill for that. I think she led that, the major part of that. I had a smaller role in that presentation. But that was an interesting step up moment, right? And I think um, there are those, when I track back, it's those moments where you, your, your preparation has, is, allows you to meet an opportunity, you know, which is a definition of luck, where you know, you've done the hard work and then all of a sudden there, there's a gap you need to leap over. Um, so you have to bring about a certain amount of courage, I guess. I, I would say another moment for me career-wise personally um, was uh, when I left or rather when I went to apply for a job at Google. And it was a big deal for me to apply, you know, because Google was like the big company then and 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 I would not worked at a big tech company before. So um I had prepared a presentation, I had fun with the presentation I created, and I spent a lot of time memorizing the and just preparing, preparing, preparing. And um I can remember being nervous about it, but also feeling pretty prepared. And it was one of these things where you give this presentation to a group of people and then you have like eight hours of one-on-one -on -one conversation. So it was pretty grueling. Um, so I was definitely nervous, but I think that if you're talking about things that you know, um, that's your experience so that you have deep familiarity in, it usually works out. So I think that um, what I've learned from, from doing presentations is a presentation is a story. And so you have to get good at storing. So what makes a good story? You know, you have to, there's the actual story itself, which has like a beginning, middle and end. It has conflict, drama, there's a rhythm to a story and how that's presented. Um, and then there is the performance of the story. And, and so those are different phases when we've done, like Ray's done plenty of pitches and that's what he's doing. You know, it's like you're, you have all these ideas and all this content and you maybe if I'm presenting myself, uh, I'm putting together all of my work and thinking about this audience and what they would take as valuable. Um, if I'm presenting a pitch, I might start from that audience perspective on this is a problem they have in their business and I need to kind of frame that problem. I need to present an understanding of that problem and I need to do that in a compelling way before I show the work, right? And so there's the stitching together of that story you want to tell. And once you have that, then you have to practice the performance of that story. And you do that again and again. I was talking to people earlier about uh, learning sado, like learning uh, tea ceremony. You practice again the movements again and again and again and again. And that's what I have, I've learned to do is that I would practice things until I couldn't help but say them. I remember some presentations. I had to once present on uh, at the Apple Keynote for Instagram. And that's a whole other story. But I had a certain number of lines I had to say and I had to be at certain places on a stage at a certain time. And for a period of weeks, I was memorizing this thing and I could say it today. 
<laughs> so you have to, it's just about, ends up being a lot about repetition at that point. And once it's, re, you repeat it enough, it can become natural again. Um, but it starts off very like scripted and robotic, but it's all about storytelling and learning how to do that well. I think um, usually you want to start off with energy and you want to start off with um, something that captures everyone's attention. You know, like in the business context, they're in, you're one meeting of, you know, eight meetings they have that day and you want to be interesting. So sometimes that's telling a joke. Sometimes that, that's being provocative in some way, but it wakes people up and helps them pay attention, right? And then you kind of get into some sort of uh, arc that gives them something familiar. You know, you might be, if it's a business, you're presenting them information that they probably know already. And then you're presenting them information that you're, you've taken what they've given you, what they know, and then you give them your perspective on what they think they know. And then you show creative work, you know, that are new ideas that are based on that understanding. And then you, uh, you know, wave goodbye and <laughs> hope for the best. <laughs> but that's a broad kind of, I guess, picture of how I'd done it in the past. Um, so just... Moving forward in your in your career journey, you know, going from RGA to uh, YouTube, Google. So, uh, for, so uh, from RGA, um, I decided I didn't want to do client work anymore. Yeah, and so I I took uh, the leap to work at Foursquare for a little while oh, in New right. York, which was um, uh, a star in that time of like mobile apps, right? You know, the check in locations, that sort of thing. And then from Foursquare, I went to YouTube at Google, and then from there to Instagram. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you've been at Instagram for how long now? Quite a while. So over seven years. I mean, my current job actually has shifted from Instagram work to more metaverse work, which is another podcast topic altogether. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, until recently it was just focused on Instagram. And so four of that years of that time was running all of design for Instagram, um, which is pretty incredible experience, I think, professionally. Um, and then we decided to launch a team in Japan, and so I raised my hand to do that. And so I've been in, been in Tokyo now. For yeah. I mean, redesigning a brand and product that's being used by, if not millions, but billions of people. Yeah, tell us a little bit of uh, what, what, you know, what that experience is like. And, yeah, that part, yeah. we weren't at a billion yet. But, oh, you want a billion yet? We, we, were, we were probably hundreds of millions, <laughs> yeah. which is enough to keep you up at night. Right. Um, first off, I don't ever recommend doing it unless you really feel like you have to. You know, I, I think it's common for like, you know, new heads of design to go in and then like redo it all. But um, that was a project that was handed to me and because the co-founders of the product wanted to do it at that time. And so I was just trying to do it the best way I knew how. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it started with just rethinking the logo itself or the icon. And, of course, you pull at that thread and it's like, well, if you're going to do that, you need to think about this. You need to think about the, the brand system overall, which, of course, the main touch point of the brand is the UI. So you also have to refresh that. And so it became a much bigger project. But um, it ended up being... I think well-timed because Instagram was going through a lot of changes. Um, it had been just the, the photo app that you knew for square photos. And it was already a big deal to introduce video, let alone photos that weren't square. And then, but from that moment after we launched, there's just been the litany of changes that, that have um, come to Instagram that have helped it grow and, and be the force that it is. Yeah. 
Yeah. From the outside, you know, you've had a really, really successful career and you've done some amazing、uh, work. Let's talk about failure.、Mm. You know, what、uh, professional failures or mistakes have you had and what have you learned from,、uh, from them? The only thing I, I come up with, I, I, I wonder whether I would consider. So I was at,、um, when I moved over to Google and worked at YouTube,、um, I left there earlier than I had planned to, right? You know, I don't wonder if I consider that a failure because I had gone there with certain expectations of what I wanted to do as, a, in, you know, accomplish in that role. And there's a long story of things that happened, you know, that, that, That、uh, happened, commonly happened into big tech companies, and I didn't know、um, that led to me hitting a wall there. And, you know, sometimes I wonder whether there was a different way to handle that situation. But what I learned by, by weathering that situation is I, I learned a lesson about resilience, and I learned a lesson about. You may have a plan and your own, managing your own expectations. You may have expectations in your mind how you see a story playing out. And, but you really don't know how it's going to play out. You have no idea, right?、And、things change very quickly, and you have to be able to accept and adapt to those changes. And I should mention that, like, when I moved to that job, I moved my entire family out, and I had,、uh, you know, four kids. We just had twins. And so it was a stressful move, and we left all of our. Our, our like extended family behind when we moved to that role. And so to have that not go the way that I had hoped and, and, and thought it would go was, I guess, a type of failure、uh, and something that required that I basically reboot my career at West working in these larger tech companies. Um, but luckily, ended up at Instagram and things worked out in the end. But things worked out pretty yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.、Mm-hmm. Over the course of your career, And,、uh, you know, the web has evolved, the internet has evolved. I think bef- when we got into this industry, we didn't have an iPhone or smartphone.、Mm-hmm. And in the past 20 years, you've been part of this、um, evolution and re- the revolution of these devices.、Mm-hmm. And you've been at the, the forefront of creating that interface,、mm-hmm. you know, at different places. You know, first, For brands,、mm-hmm. uh, and then going to some of the biggest tech companies like the, the Googles and、uh, Googles of, of the world.、Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you, know, you didn't expect that kind of journey when you were cutting assets you know, for, for,、uh, for, for eight hours.、Yeah. Looking back, would you do anything differently? Is one. And second, is what advice do you have to your 25 year old self? Would I do anything differently? Besides, like studying Japanese sooner, I don't know. <laughs> like, like language and learning. I think I probably would have to say no because I'm happy where, with where I've ended up. I think, though, when you do look back and you trace these steps and you trace these moments, it pretty much becomes clear that it's an impossible set of things that came together to get you to where you are. You know, the, the door opens because you happen to meet someone at a certain point in time, or these, these things are, you couldn't plot them out or script them out. They just kind of happen, you know?、Um, and so I feel that、uh, given that, then, you know, there isn't anything I would really do differently. There's certainly things I wish I started learning earlier, but,、um, but not decision wise, no. So I think advice that I would give to my 25 year old self.、Um, One, I think I would encourage that person to be courageous 
continue to work as hard as they, they did work at that time and be committed. I think um, try to uh, cultivate less of a scarcity mindset, meaning imagine that I, th I think I've learned that sometimes I, I can still have limiting beliefs in my own mind of things that I couldn't imagine being true. I couldn't imagine you know, I live in Tokyo. I could not imagine that. And so I actually don't think that's a great feature of me. And so it's something I would have loved to have started to change earlier uh, to just allow myself, I guess, to dream bigger um, than I think I was then. But I wouldn't change anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that my curiosity uh, and um, enjoy, enjoyment of being creative um, and my real passion for this space, this, this overlap of design and technology that I've worked and been fortunate to work in, I think I would have done it no matter what, right? You know, it's the sort of thing where even if it didn't make money or whatever, I probably would have continued to do because it just felt right. Yeah. But yeah. happened to catch it at a good point in time where it was very interesting and became more relevant over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think what, what I didn't know about Ian was how he got interested in graphic design at an early age. And I really related to what he said about the effort that he put in, in doing simple things. So he talked about when he was freelancing, he had a part-time job and he mentioned about cutting graphic assets for some project that he was working on. And what that means, um, you know, for people who are not designers, cutting assets is actually a pretty boring task. But somebody has to do it. Somebody has to do it. And I used to do it when I was in my, my early, early 20s as well. And when you, back then, when you created a web page, you know, you would design a page. And before you turn that page into a web page, somebody has to cut it up so that uh, either that person or somebody else can uh, code it and to make sure that it displays well on the website. So, and back then, initially, before there was software that did it for you, somebody had to manually cut it. And he was talking about having to do it for eight hours a day, but for him, even though it was a boring and tedious task that he had to do, he felt like, okay, this is something that I can enjoy, you know, making something visual and making it work on a screen, even though there's this tedious, boring part to get to it, that I could, you know, spend the time to do it. And I could really relate to that comment because I remember having a similar moment when I was in college. And I think I was a freshman, my second semester uh, as a freshman, I did my first all-nighter. I put an all-nighter. You know, I had an assignment, an art class assignment, and in order to finish it, I had to stay up all night. And I did it, you know, I stayed up until five o'clock in the morning to get it done. And, you know, the sun was coming up, and uh, I think it was like late in the, uh, the fall season. Uh, stepped out, the air was kind of cold, but the sun was rising, and it was such, I still remember to this day, the feeling that I had, having spent you know, hours and hours and hours working on my assignment 
and it was really tiring and really really challenging but then the 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 sense of accomplishment you know the sense of satisfaction the the feeling of euphoria that that i got from doing that task and then seeing the sun come up was such a a, a memorable experience and even though it was tiring i was like okay this is something that i could do and it was really um, refreshing to hear from an old friend who's been in the same industry who's done similar things as me in different you know different uh, career path he, i think he and i were lucky in finding something that we both loved even if it was really challenging that we can commit ourselves to it so i think the takeaway that i had from this interview you know there were so many interesting anecdotes and interesting uh comments that he had made but finding what you love i think you have to go through the challenge of doing something that may be boring that may be tedious that may be really hard but when you come out of it and if you feel good about what you just went through or if you feel accomplishment you know having gone through that then it's something that that you might want to pursue as a uh, as your career that was the most memorable part of uh, of my conversation with uh, with Ian this was the first part of my conversation with Ian Spouter the head of design at Instagram and an old friend of mine from almost 20 years ago it was an enlightening as well as uh, an exciting conversation with him because there were so many anecdotes that i didn't know about Ian Next we'll be sharing with you the second part of this conversation so stay tuned. <laughs>